Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On August 1st, we're giving away a Pizel Shadow. A 6-0 Pizel Shadow shaped for John John Florence. This was a custom made for John John that he traded in. It's been ridden by John John Florence, shaped by John Pizel, and it can be yours. We give these surfboards away to our uh, supporters. So you could set up your support on surfsplendorpodcast.com. It's $5 a month. Think of it as a subscription to a magazine back in the day. This allows us a foundation of revenue for our business that we can rely on, run the business on, plan on, map around. And as a thank you for those of you that do it, we like to give away surfboards and promote board builders who we know and love. So Pizel was kind enough to contribute one of his trade-ins from John John, and uh, it can be yours. I would love to have this. I don't even have this, but it can be yours. We're going to randomly select a name among our supporters on August 1st. So if you already support, you are automatically already entered to win, as you will be in all future giveaways. But if you don't support us and you want to get in on this, you got to get your support in before the final minute of July, Pacific Standard Time, and then we will draw that winner on August 1st. All right, best of luck to you all, and thank you so much for all of the support. With anything that you're putting in or on your body, trust is a key component. We've all been burned before, so we're wary. It's totally understandable. But at this point in my life, I don't want to think through every single purchase. I just want things to be convenient. I want to know that I can trust that things will work. And it's a bonus if I can feel good that my support does some good work. Well, check, check, and check. Welcome Sunbum as a Surf Splendor partner. Surely you already know Sunbum. You've seen their product, but have you tried it? You should. Between the skincare and the sun protection products, we use Sunbum every single day in our house. Lotions, sprays, roll-ons, face sticks, we have them all and we use them all for different needs. We generally stick with the mineral collection. It's non-greasy, it's zinc-based, it's broad-spectrum performance. And not only do they have a solution for every need in our household, including the baby bum, they have a nonprofit that builds playground shade structures. It's called Protect the Groms. So an epic, epic initiative. Plus the products are reef safe compliant, plus gluten free, plus sulfate free, plus, plus, plus. And it's convenient. Sunbum is available at your local surf shop. It's available nationwide. Or you can save 15% on sunbum.com with our promo code, SurfSplendor, just one word, and that lets them know that we sent you. So sunbum.com, promo code SurfSplendor for 15% off your first purchase. Get on board with us and trust the bum at sunbum.com. NVS Fins has been my fin of choice for years now. Uh, I'm currently riding the Sea Drive Twins on my Channel Islands Free Scrubber. I've been doing that for months. I can't get off them. Um, and every time that I catch up with Jamin and Leif at NVS, I tell them who I'm having on the podcast, and their answer is always, oh, yeah, 
we're doing a set of custom pins for them. And today is no different. I mentioned that Debbie Gordon was going to be on the show. Turns out NVS is making something for GNS. Of course they are. So NVS is relied on not only by our listeners, I've gotten tons of listener feedback over the years who are thrilled with NVS, but so many of the shapers that we've interviewed around the world, in fact, also rely on NVS. So here's just a quick list of collaboration fins that you can buy on surfnvs.com. People who we've interviewed here on Surf Splendor, Album, Campbell Brothers, Stu Kenson, Greg Weber, Tim Crozier, Tim Stamps, Taylor Knox. No need to go anywhere else for any of your fins. NVS has fins for whatever solution you need, and the Apex Series has a lifetime guarantee. And by the way, they also have impeccable customer service, the owners themselves, the experts. They themselves have dialed in custom sets for our listeners. So I'm curious to see what they come up with for GNS and what board it's for, but surfnvs.com is where you can get them, or by the way, through your local surf shops. There's um, quite a list of surf shops around the world, including Clinica in Israel, who we've interviewed here on the podcast. Real Water Sports carries their fins in North Carolina. So get them at your local retailer or through surfnvs.com. <laughs> Does it really make a difference if we don't see out of eye? The story of Gordon and Smith closely mirrors the origin story of surfing in California. As with so much of surfing, it's actually inaccurate to say that somebody invented something because we saw a lot of people around the world developing things simultaneously. And we've had a number of these people tell their stories here on the show about transitioning from wooden surfboards, discovering and experimenting with polyurethane foam, cutting things down, repurposing them, and learning the craft of board building and the principles of hydrodynamics along the way. Information in the past was very slow to disseminate, so it made perfect sense that people just kind of developed their own rational conclusions as they had access to new products, were able to make boards smaller, and surf more progressively. And the Gordon and Smith story follows a similar storyline, but they had a few additional elements that bolstered their business early and helped aid in their success and staying power, by the way, for the subsequent six decades including a significant tangential skateboard business, all things that we will discuss. One of their major attributes to success was that Larry Gordon's father worked in the plastics business, so he had access to and knowledge of resin and fiberglass. And then you have the duo, the joining of forces of Larry Gordon and Floyd Smith, each with their own skill sets, equally motivated to meet the end goal of supplying as many San Diego surfers as possible with the best quality surfboards and skateboards. But as with any six-year-old businesses, there are a lot of ups and downs. And thankfully, we have Larry's daughter here to recount them. She and her brother Eric took over the business in 2013, and interestingly, through all of the twists and turns, they are back to focusing on the original staple of the business, 
building high quality, beautiful surfboards. So in order to properly tell the story, we will go back to 1959 or 1960, and I will let Debbie pick it up from there. So my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Debbie Gordon of Gordon Smith Surfboards. What's there left to say in a broken home? Doesn't make a difference at all. It starts with surfing and how much fun surfing is and two kids in high school that took shop class and made surfboards and played around rebuilding surfboards and then... uh, so I'm talking about, of course, you know, my dad, Larry Gordon, and my uncle, Skip, um, you know, Floyd Smith, and both of them somehow got together and were, were building or rebuilding surfboards together. But they saw one foam board one day. And it was just a just a single board that had made it down to San Diego from probably the LA area. And it was foam and fiberglass, not the wood boards that they were trying to you know, scab up and and uh, rebuild. So this was different. It caught my dad's eye, and he really wanted to build boards better. He was always wanting, how can we do this better? I mean, it's constant. So he took that idea and ran with it. And because of his father's uh, chemistry background and his, he was a chemistry major, actually, at one point at San Diego State here, um, you know, he was able to get the the formula for building for for blowing foam. Okay. Yeah. So you said um, your father and your uncle. Yes. Were they family at the time, or were they family through marriage later? They they married sisters. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I so didn't realize that. For Floyd some was reason. a little older, and my my mom's sister was a little bit older. So I yeah, have they no married idea. sisters. Yeah. Okay. Um. You said they saw, or he saw, a foam surfboard at some point. So what was their exposure to surfing prior? There were obviously people surfing at that time. They were just riding balsa or whatever wood surfboards. Yeah, it was redwood and balsa, and um, it was really hard to get boards. It was really hard to get balsa at that time. There was a balsa shortage. And so um, when they, well, when my dad saw the foam and how easy it was to carry, he thought, oh, wow more people can do this if it's lighter, you know, it's not going to be just the few. So, so I know that, um, Floyd was making surfboards at the time. Was he u- making wood boards? Yes. He okay. would, he would just take pieces and parts of boards that, you know, would wash up on the shore or wherever he would find them and rebuild them. He would, he called it scarfing yeah. or, you know, he would, he would glue them together and, and reshape them. That's what they, they did at the beginning. Gotcha. Gotcha. But you said the big unlock was actually the making foam. foam. Yeah. So how did that happen? That was uh, really, really interesting. So my grandpa had the formula. There was a formula supposedly that, you know, they had up in LA, but um, this was, you know, from a chemist chemistry point of view, my, my grandfather um, was in the, 
you know, in the plastics industry. He had his own business, Gordon Composites. Actually, it wasn't called that back then, um, but it, it was uh, it was the just the ground level plastics industry. So he was able to um, kind of facilitate and get the, the the components to make foam, which were really hard to get at that point. And then they they made a mold. And this is kind of a funny story. My Uncle Floyd went up to Hobie's and ordered a board from Hobie, like crazy, like all this resin color abstract and all the bells and whistles. I don't know why you would need to do that if you were just building a mold, but he did. So they built their built their first mold from a from a Hobie that they bought up in Dana Point. Wow. Yeah. So were Hobie and Gordon Clark already making their own foam? Yes. Got it. Yeah, but it was very early on. Okay. And not very many people could, you know, knew how to do it or could do it. And it wasn't that easy. And it, that, that mix is real volatile. So they would basically mix it together, throw it in the mold, and run. And my dad <laughs> said that he, he, he uh, was, was, was allergic to it or had problems. Uh, he would be outside throwing up in the alley, you know, after, after they would... Uh, blow a blank. Were so. they doing it like in a confined space, like a garage sure or something? They were. I'm yeah. sure they yeah. were. Nobody knew anything about all the stuff we know about now, you know. Right. VOCs weren't yeah. weren't even a thought back then. So for the listener, kind of just edification, um, the way it works is you mix a slurry of chemicals, almost like a waffle mixture, yeah. that you then put into what is essentially a waffle press Exactly. Okay. And that's the mold that you're talking about. So in order to create the mold, they got a Hobie alter surfboard, created the mold around that. Then they can pour the chemicals into that structure. It expands and hardens. And then you pop it out and that's a foam blank that you could then shape down into an individual surfboard. Yes. Okay. And my brother and I, we got um, the, the cast-offs, like the mistakes. There'd be buckets that look like mushrooms with, with foam uh, coming up and billowing over the top of the, of the buckets. And we would get those. I, I don't know why my dad would bring them home, but there was like hundreds of them, I'm sure. And we would paint them. We would use them as stools. I mean, hilarious, <laughs> really creative. So, you could, I mean, if you guys... We're into the shaping aspect. You could have built anything out of those little yeah. toys or something. Yeah, we could have done sculpture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so he was building, or the goal was to make foam blanks to supply their surfboard business. Were they looking to distribute the foam or anything like that, or was it only for their own business? No, it was just for their own business. Okay. In fact, it was they, they had a really good business back then right away. Really? There was such demand, yeah. That, that's that's why it was such a success from the very beginning because there was no foam boards down here, and it was, you know, the, the Freeway 5 that you see right out the window here, that was non-existent. And to make the trek up to L.A., Orange County was, was uh, like a... Uh, I don't know, just like a whole nother country. Like an all day affair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it just more. PCH? Yeah, it was just PCH. Crazy. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, you know, and cars didn't go, I don't know, they weren't like they are now. Yeah. But um, the demand was, was definitely there and everybody was just swarming in to get their board. So it was, it was really busy. Okay. Really busy in the early years. Um. I'm going to read a quote from the book because it 
sums up perfectly what you're talking about, how everything was so um, geographically fragmented. We think of Southern California now as just being all one area, but obviously the limitations that you're explaining, it kept everything fragmented. But in the book, um, your dad said, quote, John Severson came by the Turquoise Street shop one day, introduced himself and asked, uh, maybe your dad didn't write this because it said he asked Larry um, to advertise in his magazine, Surfer. Larry's first response was to question whether a magazine from San Clemente would have any relevancy to San Diego surfers. Yeah. So surfer magazine, he's like, hey, would you advertise? I don't know. You're 20 minutes uh, or, you know, 20 miles up yeah. the road, maybe 60 yeah. miles up the road. Don't know if that applies here. Surfer magazine. Yeah. Obviously, he did advertise and it was probably a huge yeah. part of their business. Oh, yeah. He ate his words after that because he did some research and found that um, that advertising was a, a, a big deal and it was uh, there was a place for it. And in fact, his ads like. I just remember being told to be quiet on the weekends when my dad was doing ads. He would have his yellow legal pad and be doodling and thinking up, you know, just the right things to say about whatever he was advertising. And um, he was good at it. He actually, you know, gave a lot of information. Um, I was looking at some of the old old ads this last weekend just to kind of... Um, because we're doing a lot of single fin fish right now. And so I was looking at some of the old ads and just the way he wrote and explained, you know, some of these things came from such a scientific um, background, sort of. It's, it's really an intelligent um, background to explain things. Um, I don't know. When I think of GNS, and as I've been thinking about this conversation, I think of it as being your dad being like a multifaceted, talented businessman, marketing, like you're saying, certainly surfboard manufacturing, like you're saying, but then also developing the raw material for the surfboard manufacturing and the foam, then getting into clothing and merchandise and skateboards and kind of everything else. When you look back at it now, it's crystal clear that he was doing all of these things really well. Um, so it's, it's interesting and it's great for you to be able to kind of replicate that or apply what he was doing then to, like you said, the trends that are happening now. Yeah. You know, Boy, it's not easy. I don't know how he did it actually at that level. Yeah. It's just at our little level, we're, we're have the little tentacles coming out and, and, uh, you know, I've got, we're setting up a skateboard factory right here. Okay. So we're going to start making some of our skateboards. So we're going to try, we're going to start with the Fiberflex, which the first Fiberflex was in the sixties, probably like 1964. The first surf skate is what they were called back then. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to try it. Um, what was the, do you know that story? What was the story behind the first surf skate? Yes. So this is where my grandpa comes in because he invented Bowtuff, which is a unidirectional pre-cured epoxy sheet. So he invented the way that it was made and all these fiberglass strings would would come in like the eye of the needle and come down in this big, long um, slurry and, and pick up at the end and cure, and it would be actually a flexible fiberglass unidirectional, not, you know, like a, for not surfboard. Woven. Right, surfboard, um, you know, cloth is, is a, like the E-cloth is has cross and, 
and straight. And this was just unidirectional. So it had crazy amount of pop and spring. And um, I don't know who exactly was the first one to, to uh, glue some of that up, but somebody did. Somebody uh, at the surfboard factory was taking some of the bow tough out and and glued it up and made a little skateboard and that was it like it was when the waves weren't good the skating was <laughs> you yeah know? so they were riding wood skateboards prior obviously yeah okay yeah so th- this was really really far ahead of its time the the bow tough the the composite you know um actually there wasn't really much at that time that was like that yeah so let's talk about your grandpa a little bit. Um, you referenced his business. So I read that his business was supplying GNS surfboards mm-hmm. with all of their laminating material. Was that yes? Right? Yeah, okay. for the skateboards. Yes. Just for the skateboards, not for the surfboards. Yeah, early on, some of the surfboard production actually started at Gordon Plastics. That's what it was called back then, and they had the the uh, wherewithal to make the machinery and stuff like that, like. Very early in the 60s, my dad worked um, with one of the guys at Gordon Plastics who was really a good machinist, and they actually built one of the first um, um, shaping machines in the the 60s. So um, my dad loved to do a lot of different things. I think um, it would be interesting to see if he pursued everything that he tried. Because he, you know, things fell off because he just didn't have, it's too hard to do that many things at once really good, you know. Completely. What do they say, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did a lot of them well. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Yeah. But I think there was a lot of other stuff that he was doing too, like the the first fin system move. He he wanted, you know, after wave set, the the, rem, uh, the movable fin. He, he actually got so close and there was just one component he couldn't get. And he just had to focus on the business, so he gave it to Bob Bain to take and finish off. And there, there it is. Wow. Fins Unlimited and, and the Bain box. Still to this day, we put them in our boards. And that was the, the deal was my dad said, hey, can you finish inventing this? Right. <laughs> so that you can make them and we can buy them from you and put them in the boards. I mean, it was that, you know, that kind of a partnership that he did over and over again with um, – truck companies you know mm. when it came to skateboards later on wheel companies you know so he used that same model did he have uh what was his educational background um he graduated from mission bay high school and then went on to be a chemistry major at san diego state in his last quarter or last semester he dropped out because uh, the business was so prolific, and he was kind of adding it up, and a starting chemist wage was about half of what he was going to make making surfboards. Was he planning to go work for his dad? Yeah. In fact, he did go back. He vacillated at one point and went back to work for his dad, but the whole time was thinking about how he could make surfboards better. Got and it. then when he did come back, Floyd had kind of – Floyd was an awesome uh, you know, showman, really good at marketing and all that. Oh, there's such good stories about Floyd. He's amazing. But maybe he wasn't so good with the money aspect or or um, my dad was really good with, with that. And so when he came back, they, they dug the business out of, uh, you know, out of the 
the drudgery and yeah. <laughs> of debt and and uh, moved on and that was the point when Floyd went to Australia they decided they wanted to go international so Floyd went to Australia and my dad said okay um, you do your thing over there and I'll do this over here and we'll be international business that was in the late 60s or so that was mid 60s mid 60s okay mm-hmm. and how did it go in Australia it actually was it took a while but Floyd um, befriended Bobby Brown which he he tells a really amazing story about that and I I can't remember if it was the brown haired Bobby Brown or the blonde haired Bobby Brown but I um he always <laughs> He has this crazy story. Um, but he he really believed that Bobby Brown was the best surfer in the world at that time and was going to be great. And he it took him a while to uh, you know, to, to have him as his mate, you know, because mm-hmm. he um the Australians didn't really trust the Americans so much. So Floyd did make a place for himself and, and was making boards down there. And he had just made a big deal with a Japanese distributor to distribute boards to Japan. And then the tragedy struck and Bobby Brown had a, a terrible accident in a bar fight and actually passed away. Floyd was so upset about the whole thing, you know, of, of course, you know, because it was his really good friend. And so he moved back because he was so upset. So he just left everything there and moved back up here and brought uh, Surfboards Australia. So we were making GNS and Surfboards Australia at the same time. Was somebody running the Australian business at all or did he just let it go completely? I think he just kind of let it go. There was, there was some guys that worked for him that kept it going a little bit. And then the trademark actually fell into different hands. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the specifics were. I think I was too young at that point to really know. Um, But trademarks are owned by golden breed now down there oh really yeah interesting yeah uh what are they doing with it um they are doing some stuff with it okay yeah Yeah. um who designed the logo that we now i mean the logo is iconic the gordon and smith logo so do you have a story behind who designed that yeah mike salisbury and uh he was just a grom at the surf shop at the time and um the first logo that he came up with, we call the bubble logo. Oh, I didn't know he did that one too. I think he did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. You know, maybe we shouldn't talk. I don't know. I, I'm afraid to say, if, but I, I think he did that one. That was his first attempt. Got it. And it didn't quite fly, but he hit the nail on the head with the uh, iconic Gordon and Smith original logo is what we call it. Okay. So who is um, Mike Salisbury? He became... Um, just uh, one of the most prolific graphic artists um, of, of my time. If you Google him, <laughs> you will find that he did Jurassic Park, um, Rolling Stone stuff. He did a lot for the music industry and a lot of movies. Um, gotcha. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, it goes on and on. Levi Strauss. Levi's, yeah. Yeah. No, he's amazing. He's iconic. Yeah. Um, is he still around? Uh, yeah, I think he's okay. hiding out somewhere. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love the idea. Getting so famous, you have to hide out. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't so have good to at, do anything yeah, more. Yeah, so good at what you do, you're like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Leave me alone. Um, so uh, when you were growing up, were you, how much exposure did you have to board building or 
uh, the entire business and was it expected of you to kind of follow and work in the business? That's an interesting question. Our family was so intertwined with the business at most of most of the points of my life that uh, it wasn't expected, but it was uh, a wide open opportunity, I would say. But I remember I wanted to be a shaper because we'd always run loose in the in the surfboard uh, factory. And I used to love that. And my dad said, no, I, I don't think you should become a shaper. And so he um, noticed, not? well, I was really shy, like morbidly shy. And, you know, if you're a shaper, you're in a room by yourself. And that would just, that wouldn't let me blossom as a person. I think he, he was really good at um, at uh, seeing what people had uh, and was able to unlock things in people mm. and let them thrive. He, he was very gifted as far as that goes. And he, at the age of 12, I remember he would just drop me off on Saturdays down at our surf shop, which was right on PB Drive in Pacific Beach, the PB surf shop. And he would say, go watch dressing rooms, you know, clean, pick up things after people and straighten things up. And um, I remember my very first day, I dropped the whole box of ball bearings on the floor and the guys gave me a magnet and told me to, they'll see me in an hour. You know? <laughs> but um, that experience being put into retail, um, he, he really, he, he pushed me into that, gently pushed me into that um, so that I would learn to, talk to people and um, be able to grow that part of my my person so um did it I'm work glad, yeah yeah I, now i can't stop me from talking <laughs> in fact the guys go can you go back to your desk <laughs> we got it that's hilarious um but you know he he um he saw something in me that i i didn't know about i was too young sure but thank goodness you know i went on to manage that store and and at a time where uh, you know, I did really well and was very successful there. And it really helped my management skills and my people skills right now. I would say communication is, is my, is a strong point and it's needed as far as running a glass shop and a business and, you know, communication is probably number one. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, was your mom involved in the business? Oh yeah, she okay. definitely was. I mean, Besides all the support that, you know, to my dad, I mean, that was huge because of all the stuff he would do. But she at one point would uh, was uh, in charge of human resources and was definitely involved um, heavily with with everything. Got it. Um, I don't hear her name referenced often enough. It should be. It should be. Yeah. <laughs> On book number two, maybe <laughs> it can be from her perspective. Actually, I'm, she wrote a lot of the book. Oh, did she? Yeah. Okay. She, yeah. That makes she sense. She wrote a lot of the book. It, it, it's coming from her perspective. Got it. And my dad, you know, before he passed away. Yeah. And I wrote parts of the book and Eric wrote parts of the book. So we yeah. all as a family really uh, self-published and wrote that book ourselves. It's a family project. It's not perfect, but it's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, uh, going through kind of the timeline you referenced, I forgot about retail, but we've got retail, we've got manufacturing of surfboards and clothing. Um, I saw somewhere written that maybe your dad was responsible also for kind of the first surf t-shirts. 
logo t-shirt. The first, okay. Yeah. What's the story behind that? That's actually Floyd again. Again, yeah. okay. In uh, probably like 1963 or four, it was at the, the uh, turquoise address that they had down in Pacific Beach. And uh, he had, I think, made a silkscreen at Mission Bay High School um, that, that he had with, with their logo. He had learned how to do silkscreen there. And he just told everybody, go down to JCPenney, get a white shirt, and then come by the shop on Saturday, and I'll silkscreen a GNS logo for you. And so um, he got to the store Saturday, and there was just lines around the whole block waiting with their white T-shirts to get it silkscreened. And so that was pretty early on for a, you know, but he was just doing it for free. And now, I mean, we still sell that T-shirt with the original logo, just that iconic logo on it. It's still our bestseller today. Wow. Yeah. Did, was he using the high school's silk screen machine? or was? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he made his own screen. But he okay. had learned how from okay. Mission Bay High. They learned everything, they, everything you wanted to know at shop class at Mission Bay High School. <laughs> Incredible. And it really sounds like that's also where they're getting their customer base, too. It's yeah. like two kids from high school yeah. who are building foam surfboards, which right. nobody else has access to. Right. Nobody knew anything about how to even go about it. Right. So it was a whole new world, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. But all, all their um, workers, the first workers, were all from Mission Bay High School. And their too. clients and yeah. everybody. And everybody. it's so cool. It's like yeah. they're making something incredibly cool. You go down to the beach and you see it. Yep. And you want to buy it from your friends. Yep. They'll make you a free T-shirt, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So um, that was Floyd. That was one of his crazy things that, that actually worked out really good. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it, I guess in hindsight, it seems logical that, yeah, you'd make some T-shirts and then we need somewhere to sell this stuff. So then you get into retail. Um, and it seems like over the decades, we saw an expansion of all of those things until a certain point when then there was a restriction and kind of a focus back on just building surfboards. Um, can you tell me about that process and what were the successes along the way and why then scale it all the way back to just focus on boards? Yeah, so I think uh, my, my dad bought PB Surf Shop from the original owners in 67 or 68, something like that, because we did. We needed an outlet. That was at the time when San Diego was finally saying, you know, we really don't want you to, to uh, build surfboards a block from the beach in a residential area anymore. It's kind of becoming a nuisance. So they, they got a factory right over here, um, actually down the way on Santa Fe, just a, about a mile down the road was their first factory. So with that, it's not by the beach. There wasn't a whole lot of people. So they bought that retail store. The retail store was prolific and, and had incredible iconic managers all the way through until, um, 1991 we had to we had to close it down because they they had um the blue sea lodge had bought that property and they were going to re repurpose it and take the shop out so we we closed it down and just at that time went to our retail stores um at the, we were doing clothing skateboards surfboards all at once um in the 70s that was probably the pinnacle of of everything altogether. And then I think this, the clothing took over 
um, at one point. But yeah, with the recession of 91, that was a really tough time. And um, the bank called in loans and I think it was uh, San Diego Trust and Savings. They got bought out by First Interstate or something like that. And they, they wanted to call in the loans. So it pretty much crippled uh, the business and it just completely fell at that point. So that was one of the low points. But to me, I think it was one of the best points because, you know, the business has gotten so big. Um, my dad was able to kind of regroup, start surfing again, mm. you know, um, something that he just loved to do. And the, the 90s were actually such a wonderful time. I got to work with my mom and dad. It was just me, my mom and dad. And actually, Isaac Wood worked for us, um, packing boards. And my uh, ex-husband, husband at the time, Masi Sa'ili, was shaping. So it was a super tight little family kind of business. And it was fun. My dad would surf at the beach and just come in laughing after all the stuff that he did down at the beach with his with his friends down there. He, he just, it was a really, really neat time. And we, we started making a lot of surfboards at that time. Not, sh- not as many shortboards, but that's when longboards started to come back. The resurgence of longboards. Okay. So, um, had he stopped surfing? Yeah. And I kind of know that feeling because when I, when we took over the glass shop, I haven't been able to surf much after that. I mean, you get to a point where I was, I'm was i afraid to go out in the water. <laughs> Just because your skill level has gotten lower? Um, Yeah, I mean, I'd never have been the best surfer, but I've always loved it. But I, you know, I, I would surf every day when I lived on Maui as a 20-year-old. And then when I you move back here and it's cold and yeah and uh crowded it's not as fun but but just the business is always on my mind yeah so i think um but i know that my dad his advice to me if he were standing right here was it would be have you gone surfing today yeah that was his question always i'm glad to hear that yeah because it's easy to lose sight of yeah it really is yeah um so side note uh what were you doing on maui like, were you involved with GNS throughout your entire career, or had you taken time off? Were you developing business in Maui? Um, I've I've done other things, but you know, when I was uh, about eighteen, I think. Well, I explained that I was pretty shy, and the whole thing, like that, was the point—the seventies and eighties when all eyes were on GNS here in San Diego. There was a lot of people that knew me, and I didn't know them, and. It was just a weird time. I, I really didn't know myself. And I kind of, um, right out of high school, I moved to Maui just just uh, on a whim. And ended up being there four years just to kind of know who I was and, and uh, you know, know that people didn't like me just because I could get them a surfboard, but because they were my friends, you know. So I was, it was, a, it was definitely a growth period for me. And I had the time of my life over there. And uh, then I was I was able to come back. I came back married and had children here, and uh, got back into the business, and managed PB Surf Shop to the end, and then went into surfboard production. And at that point, uh, I think when I took it over, we were doing like maybe three hundred a year. And by the time I uh, by the time the early two thousands came, we were doing maybe fifteen. 15 to 1800 a year or 2000. I mean, it was, it was all right. It was pretty good. 
a lot of growth though between yeah. 300 and, then and that. My dad started licensing things out. And so that's another transition. So Gordon and Smith has really gone through a lot of different uh, phases. Um, and that was one of them. So he licensed things out. He was getting, he was at the point where he wanted to, I think, retire or try and retire. And uh, I go, oh, you're licensing everything out? I want to license Fiberflex skateboards. I got to do something, right? Mm -hmm. So I did. And he let me, he met, let me run with it. So um, I was setting up surfboard production at Waterlines Glassing with, with Ernie Higgins and working with them for, for a couple of years to set up GNS up there because he was licensing the Gordon Smith uh, label and making the surfboards. And then I started making, I would put together Fiberflex skateboards up in the loft where all of the, all of the fumes would congregate by the end of the day, and I'd be up there building skateboards. <laughs> and then uh, I finally got my own place and... and uh, traveled around and, and uh, kind of got into the resurgence of slalom with it was with uh, skateboarding. It was a kind of an interesting thing, but it was fun. Mm. And then I, I met David Anderson, and we started an old-school skate shop called skatesupply.com, and we've been doing that for 24 years. It doesn't seem to quit. Is that right here next yeah. door? Yeah. yeah. And that's sort of our retail front for, for the GNS stuff here at the factory. Um, yeah, so I've got a lot of things, a lot of irons in the fire. <laughs> um, beyond North Shore testing, Florence Marine X was the presenting sponsor this past weekend at the Blue Water Hawaiian Classic, a 22-mile coastal paddleboard race, which links up several iconic downwind runs. And there was actually also an eight-mile foil race. But Florence Marine X test pilot Kona Johnson competed in the race, I think he was actually John John Florence's paddle partner at some point. Anyways, he competed in the race. He's putting the board shorts and the ultraviolet protected tops to work. Tested in extreme conditions by real athletes to ensure that you get the best quality product, whatever you encounter on your next adventure. So, of course, John John is the key test pilot, but the test pilot program that Florence Marine X has unfolded is amazing. Um, if you are a member, you can apply and submit an application. They'll review it and then get back to you and onboard you and send you gear and put you through a process of reviewing that gear. So it's a pretty epic program, and I think it creates real-world tests, not just kind of top-level athletes doing crazy stuff, but real-world exposure for these products and feedback to improve the products. So epic program going on at FlorenceMarineX.com. Grab some product and enjoy. Our key source for boards, board bags, traction, or any accessories is realwatersports.com. The Hurley brothers were hyping foil boarding to me on our recent show, and it turns out that Real has an equally vast inventory of foil boards and kiting equipment, by the way, as they do surfboards. So I've been learning about foil setups on realwatersports.com. I'll actually need Jeff Hurley to send through kind of final guidance before I pull the trigger. But the reason that I'm using Real is that their selection is second to none, their pricing is competitive, and they ship everything inexpensively 
and guaranteed to show up blemish-free. So for whatever your water needs are, realwatersports.com is the ultimate resource. They're our partner here. Our work throughout the year would not be possible without Real Water Sports. So thank you for that, and thanks for providing such an amazing resource for our listeners. realwatersports.com. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's go back to the licensing conversation. Yes. Because uh, that is something that GNS has utilized, I think, that a lot of other brands maybe haven't. Um, what are the pros and what are the pitfalls of licensing? Um, and did you see it? Was it a smart move? Was it something that you would have navigated differently? How does licensing work? I think at first it was a really good thing, and I'm glad my dad was able to um, kind of get money, uh, you know, the licensing fees from from that, and be able to kind of enjoy his life a little bit. I, I think I think that was really really good. The only downside to licensing would be that it's. Um, it's like once removed, the the translation, the soul, the the you know the drive, the mission that my dad had was lost in translation with all that. I believe that's what my brother and I think, and so that's that's why here, uh, two thousand fourteen, um, I had an opportunity to to buy the glass shop from Mark and Nikki, and. Um, I didn't want to do it alone. I thought, hey, this might be a good way to start back a family business because some of the licensing agreements were falling away and not as as good as um, they were at the beginning. So I think in the in the late 90s, it was good. And then it just the further it got away from my dad and my dad's influence, it it just wasn't the same. And um, Eric and I both feel pretty, pretty strongly that uh, we wanted to get rid of all licensing and just push the reset button and see what would happen. And we wanted to to just have a family business again. So that's what we did. And so as the licenses um, fell away and, and um, we we just picked up where uh, 
where we could. And, and through the glass shop, we started making GNS surfboards ourselves. And so this was the first time that GNS had actually manufactured start to finish our own surfboards. Um, I think the, the surfboard factory had closed down in the mid seventies oh, wow. or late seventies. Okay. So there was a couple of decades. We didn't make our own boards. We contract glass right. um, them out. And then, and then it was licensed to Ernie for a while. So when, when Ernie went away from doing that, then that's when we picked up the slack on the surfboards and, and uh, used the, the glass glass shop as a as a way to do that and we do contract glassing we glass other people's boards here and i love it i I like seeing other boards come through and um work with other shapers in in the in the san diego area um i'll come back to that in a couple minutes but i want to talk about you said you got into surfboard manufacturing um at some point were you involved in the actual shaping laminating how involved were you I was I I think it was uh, the early '90s, and basically um, it was limited. I I was in charge of of production. That's that's to say, making sure that the blanks were ordered. You know, I'd order the blanks and set up the shapers, and then after the shapers got done, I would you know make sure suss out where where all the blanks would go. Because I think at one point we had like four glass houses going because we just we had so many boards going um but that's that's kind of the extent of it gotcha. and i did more sales i worked with with or you know people who placed orders and things like that and uh how much was your dad involved in board building i know that was the 90s that's when he started shaping again and okay. surfing again and okay. so to me that was um that was the best time for GNS, even though it was, people thought we fell off the radar, but we, we've been making boards since the beginning. Right. Who are among the shapers who have passed through GNS? Um, oh, I would be afraid to forget <laughs> somebody. Well, but there's some icons. There's that... some icons. I mean, in the 60s, you've got, uh, you know, of course, Skip Fry and Mike Hinson. My dad's a really good shaper. People kind of underestimate him because his stuff looks so simple, but there's complexity in the simplicity of a lot of his designs. And his uh, concepts are what um, really drove um, a lot of the design, along with team. That was that was his deal, is, is you know, R&D with the team. And then he had just so many really good shapers all the way through 60s, 70s, the 80s, all different types of boards at that time. So... So the 60s was, was longboards until about 67, and then the shortboard re- revolution hit. And, you know, then the 70s were all the fish and the eggs and um, all that crazy stuff that everyone did. And now we're revisiting a lot of that and doing a lot of the magics and the right. gypsies again. So... Um, Hinson, Fry. Hinson, Fry. Rusty. Rusty, yeah, for, for a time. Mike Eaton. Oh yeah, Mike Eaton with the Bing. You know, we did Bing for a while, and uh, Terry Goldsmith in the eighties. Mark Richards. Oh yeah, yeah, Mark Richards for sure. Just complete icons. And then there's some that you don't you don't know um, completely about, but are incredible. Um, Steve Siebel. 
yeah. shape for us for a long time. He was actually first a team rider, and uh, Bobby Thomas in the '60s, um, Electric Duck. Remember him, E Duck? Yeah, I have. Mike Richardson. I actually have a um, Mark Richards shaped by E Duck. Really? Yeah. Yeah, like from the '80s, um, kind of like a classic MR, but channels and a little bump in the yeah. tail. It says E Duck right there on the deck. I think Robin Pradonovich did a lot of those. Yeah, too. I think so too. Yeah. Um, you said that the retail shop also had some icons coming through it. Were they surfboard shapers who were working retail? Is that who you were referring to, or? Um, no, just the managers. Oh, okay. uh, Bill Andrews was okay. larger than life. Man, he, he uh, in San Diego, he was definitely an iconic guy and was uh, huge for for starting all that, the kind of the, the energy behind PB Surf Shop at the beginning. And Jerry Lund was another one. I worked under them. Bob Binky and Mike Binky. Uh, Donnie Wilson and... Uh, yeah, <laughs> an icon in your own right. Um, it's funny, you hear people talk about surfboards being non not that profitable or the margins aren't great. So it's interesting that surfboards are the center of the business. Once the economy goes bad, you can focus back on surfboards and revitalize the business from that. Like, it's interesting that the least the lowest profit margin item is really the core of the business all throughout, it's right? It's the core of the business, yeah. But no, you can't make that much money on surfboards. <laughs> That's why we're trying to make them from the beginning, but, right. <laughs> you know, make them all the way through uh, contract glassing, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> that was tough. Well, um, so was it 2014 that you and your brother took yeah. over? Okay. And as you said, kind of eliminate all the licensing, focus on doing everything yourself. Um, it seems like you're also archivists. Yes, we both are. But I would say I, I'm the family historian. Okay. I really, oh, oh my gosh. I was looking through ads and old magazines just this last weekend. I love that stuff. What were you... Do you have a plan for what you were going to do with them or are you just looking out of... Just looking at them. I, I like, uh, you know... I think I mentioned before the concepts that my dad came up with were were uh, really good. We have a lot of models, and so I think the easiest way to explain to people what they do is through concepts more than um, you know because you lose people as soon as you tar- start talking about hydrodynamics. Yeah, yeah. So, um, where does all that material come from? How do you have? I mean. I, it seems like somebody at some point did a great job cataloging the different ads, all the different skateboards, all the different logos and t-shirt designs and all that sort of stuff. Who's responsible for all of that? I don't know. I've been doing it since uh, the nineties, I would say. Okay. But before that, I don't think anybody knew that you were supposed to save that stuff. (laughs) I mean, all those magazine ads from decades and decades. Yeah. I collect those. Yeah. Okay. I'm a collector. I'm a skateboard collector. And a surfboard collector, but um, surfboards are too big, so I kind of topped out on that. So I got a lot of skateboards. Okay. Um, so tell me about the business as it's been since you guys have been involved. Who's shaping boards? You said you're doing all the laminating here mm-hmm. yourselves. Yep. So um, 
you have to hire all these people. Tell me about who's involved. So shapers, um, for one, we, we've used Steve Seabolt for many, many years, and he's just a wonderful secret uh, secret shaper that we've enjoyed. But he's, you know, he's getting to where he doesn't want to shape as much, and he was kind of slowing down, and so we only go to him for real special occasions. Uh, otherwise, uh, we brought back Hank Warner is helping out on some stuff, which is awesome to have Hank. And then we've got uh, Chris Darby, who's been shaping for GNS. He started in the early 2000s, and he's still with us. And he and Eric work really good together on on uh, kind of revitalizing some of the old templates and outlines and still, you know, keeping that soul in, in what uh, my dad started. And, uh, you know, but, but making everything relevant. Um, Chris is an unreal shaper. He's really good, and nobody even knows who he is. But we'll, we'll start having, like, little uh, shaper talks with him so that people can kind of get exposed because he's, he's just unbelievable. And then we've got Isaac Wood, who's been our team writer basically since he was a teenager, you know. Well, he actually he, he went to Rusty for a while, but he's back. And um, he's uh, got a lot of knowledge, and um, he's developed maybe three or four models that he works on, and so he shapes those specialized models um his log is a nose rider and he's got a high pro um and he's got you know he's he's got his little um you know entourage of models that he's he's in charge of so that's uh that's about it right now who are the laminators shapers get all of the acclaim always but how important are they who are Laminators are definitely key, and um, you know we've had some really good ones come and go. You know, Alex Villalobos has been here maybe three times. Super Wolf. <laughs> yeah, love that guy. Um, but we've got our own little secret weapon, and that's uh, Glenn Hoffman. He is an original guy that worked at, at my dad's uh, Gain Street factory, and um, he is just perfection. So if you want a, just a nice, even tint with tight uh, cut laps, he's the guy. We have another uh, younger guy that's, that's learning, and he's, he's really, really good too. So I'm excited the last six months we've gotten some younger guys in to the factory because before that it was mostly everybody was over 50 and uh, really hard to get the younger, younger kids uh, interested in surfboard manufacturing they want to be a shaper or they want to um you know kind of uh do the fun stuff but uh it's really hard work really really hard work um i keep hearing that i've been hearing that for the last decade or so is that that's a real concern there'll be a bottleneck yeah all these icon icons who have been laminating for 40 years some of them that information and skill set is just going to go away and that's why I'm really excited. We've got a, a real good um, uh, crew, and they work good together, and the young kids are coming in, and they're, um, you know, when I say young kids, I mean, everybody's a kid to me yeah. <laughs> at this point, but they're, you know, under 30, say, yeah, and then, a, you know, um, Guillermo is is uh, over 30. I think he's 34, something like that, but they, they really want to learn, and, and this is the perfect opportunity because these guys are really close to retiring. I don't know how much longer we're going to have some of them. 
Um, Glenn has threatened to retire several times, but uh, he keeps coming back, and we're, we're going to have him as long as he wants to be here. I mean, it'd be a shame for his knowledge to not be handed down. Yeah, yeah. So I think he feels the same. So he is definitely um, imparting it um, at this point. And then we've got, a, you know, glassing on fins and hot coating is another one. And fin systems, that's a tough job. And I've just, you know, I, we're, we're in the process of kind of teaching a younger, younger kid um, some of these secrets <laughs> um, on how to do that. Um, sanding is great. That's, that's one of the most important jobs in the whole shop. That's almost like reshaping the whole board. You get edges, um, you know, that's, uh, that's part of the quality right there too, is to make sure you don't get sand throughs and things like that, that you got the integrity of the board, but definitely the edges. And then, um, you know, the glosser, and the polishers, I'm lucky I've got two kids under 30 that are polishing right now. So everybody, I noticed other brands are saying, oh, wet sanded gloss is the way to go. It's just because they don't have anybody to polish, I think. And and we do. We got two polishers. So wow. we're keeping up with the shiny stuff. Uh, I think the fact that you've been able to cultivate those employees, keep them, retain them is an attribute to you as the manager of production. So well done. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you during COVID, um, you know, I thought we were going to have to shut down and I just asked everybody, Hey, we got some boards to work on. Do you want to just close the doors and, and work? And they said, yeah. And you know what? It never quit. And it, it was the busiest we've ever been. It was really busy. In fact, I'm exhausted. All the rest of America got kind of a break. I've been, I've never worked so hard in my life. <laughs> That's good though. Good for you. So when you, you when you say close the doors, you mean just close the doors to the public? Yeah. And just keep cranking production. Yeah, we just put our head down and put you know where everybody's in their own uh, room, so it was you know I made yeah. it safe. But I came out and I I uh, you know decontaminated the whole place every single day and yeah. did a lot. I made sure that you know things were as as safe as they could be. Totally. And a lot of people in surfboard production are wearing respirators and everything anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how did, what did that do for your business? Um, have you been able to expand or grow thanks to that? What happened at that time was we had, we had so many brands and it was everybody fit really great into our little factory. But then during that time, everybody grew probably four times the size. And so we, at one point, we had um, this whole area that we're sitting in was full of shaped blanks. We had to get a, a storage unit to put shaped blanks in. We had like 162 boards waiting to laminate at one point. So it was, uh, it was crazy. It was just absolutely crazy. To so much so that another glass shop had to open up because we just couldn't handle it all. Yep, not your glass shop though. No, got it. Yeah, Joel Tudor opened up his glass shop, which I'm so glad they did because we couldn't do it all, and it was stunting the growth of GNS. You know, everybody, yeah. ne everybody, you know, needed to grow, and yeah. and our own brand was was kind of suffering during that time. So let's talk about. Um, you said that you do contract laminating for other brands. Yes. So GNS surfboards are shaped here. Yes. in this building and laminated in this building. Yes. Who else do you laminate for? 
Bob Mitzfin. Mm. He's the godfather. He he used to own the glass shop oh, okay. years ago. So he'll always um, be be our number one. Um, we do some skip fries come through here. Uh, Josh Halls, Michael Millers, um, and there's there's other smaller brands that that come through too. But we we'll, we just make sure we have enough room for the GNS production so we can we can continue to grow. So who's who of San Diego yeah. uh, kind of luminaries that you? Yes. And you said some of them, you know, some Skip Fries, some Josh Halls. I saw Skip sitting over there right now. Uh, why only some of them? Like you would think that he would work with the exact same glass shop all the time. Um, I think Skip sends some of his to Michael Miller, and then now Michael Miller wants to shape more, so he sends some of his to us. It's very inbred. I mean, it's like <laughs> you have to stay friends, you know, with True. everyone, and and make sure that the, you know, the the, the bridge is never burned. Of that course. was that was the first thing, besides how to do my taxes. My dad taught me how to do my taxes and never burn a bridge. Those were the first two things. It's <laughs> good advice. Yeah, you never <laughs> know how you're going to face off with people, right? Um, all through your life, and it, I could never, in my wildest dreams. Um, you know, come up with some of the face-offs that I've, you know, like, just, it's really fun, the, the the people that have come through the glass shop that we've been able to glass boards for. It's been a, it's been a true honor to, to be able to do some of Joel's and um, Derek Disney and um, just actually Ryan Birch. Mm-hmm. It's been really, really neat to, to meet a lot of really cool people. And it's probably somewhat informative just to see different boards, right? Yeah. And hold them and kind of figure out what other people are doing. Yeah. I mean, when we weren't doing as many GNSs as I would have liked, um, our, our shaper, Chris Darby, was a polisher. So he would see every board yeah. at a different, you know, he would see the beginning of the board and the end of the board. And um, I, I think that makes a good board builder. He's not just just a shaper, but you know these guys. We're trying to to help them cross pollinate in different things. Usually, it's uh, either either you're a machine guy or you're a resin guy. You know, it's sort of right. uh, you know sort of like that. No, but it's smart to learn every aspect. I mean, back yeah. in the day, that's how you start sweeping, and you just kind of learn each process yep. along the way. Um. Do you or Eric have kids and will they be involved in the business or are they? Um, Eric doesn't have kids. He is a kid. (laughs) No, he's Well, there's still time. Maybe he will. (laughs) I don't want him to ever grow up. He's such a good brother. He's so fun to work with. Um, But I have four kids and uh, I've got three out of the four surf. In fact, one of them is a pro surfer. And she surfs for Bing. It's Melly Saeli. And, uh, you know, she worked for me. She actually surfed for us growing up. And uh, I taught her a little bit about networking, and she's just taken it to the moon. I'm really proud of her. Uh, what do you mean about networking? Just, um, you know, working with the right people, um, putting good people in your life, and, uh, and networking with solid, solid people. And uh, she's done that, you know, she's done that. She's gone a lot of places. This year she told me, she goes, I'm going to go out with a big bang. I'm going to, you know, she's going to Canada, Portugal, a lot of places this year. So, wow. Yeah. Um, 
to surf specifically? Yes. Or just for the heck it's of it? It's all surf okay. related, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, she's she's a good good surfer. Yeah, I've seen her. She's incredible. Um, was it hard to lose her to Bing? Mm, no, because I, you know, as a parent, you want the best for your kids and you really want them to be autonomous. I'm really glad. I was proud that she picked the right places to go. You know, those, those little footsteps through her life. Um, and I think it's a good one. I mean, Bing is awesome. Yeah, totally. Uh, Matt and Margaret are incredible people. And I thank them all the time for taking such good care of her. And Bing is just a gentleman and awesome, awesome person was good friends with my dad. So, and we, we made Bing's for a long time. So it's sort of like just an extended family is the way I look at it, but she's making her own life and she's doing really good. She's got her own models and, and, uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I think if I couldn't do it for her, they're doing it better than I could actually. Yeah. Well, they're focused. Um, they've got a program for their team riders. I think that is really robust and helps support them and market yes. them and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah. So it's good for her, and I'm I'm happy. Um. So where does the business go next for the next generation, and who takes over when you retire and all that stuff? Well. It would be really fun to have uh, my son and daughter step in and, you know, it's up to them though. I was never pushed. My dad never pushed me into it. But uh, the things that I learned growing up in a family business just are priceless. The, the only thing is they can't be used in, in any other industry. They are so <laughs> specialized. The things that I know, um, I, I just... I've tried. I like I, I got a degree in web design and I, I had my own web design company for a long time and and did that. But uh, I tried to have jobs outside of GNS, but I don't know. I always was calling my own shots and things and I think I was too um, autonomous to work for somebody. Yeah. So my dad taught me to be an entrepreneur. So Well that's like you said, these skill sets if you lost this job, you wouldn't be able to go work somewhere else and apply them. However, the world is your oyster here. Yeah. Like if your kids came in and got involved, they can run with it yeah. whatever direction they want. Yeah. And that's what I'm making is opportunities. And if they do want to, to come in, I, I have a son that's 35 and, um, you know, he, he could come in and do whatever he wanted. Yeah. I just would want to make sure that it would support him and his little family too. So, but we're, we're starting our, our skateboard manufacturing. We've got our surfboard manufacturing and then we've got our brand and there's a lot to do. There's so much to do and it's getting to be more than my brother and I, we have the biggest, hugest worldwide mom and pop company you'd ever <laughs> You'd never know. I mean, if you knew all the stuff that we do, and it's just Eric and I, you'd be floored. Yeah. You um, said that you kind of stopped collecting surfboards because they take too much space. Yeah, but I still do. I, well, <laughs> I know I tell, same here. I'm like, I don't need to buy surfboards probably for the next, next decade. Yeah. But I'm out there looking at boards. I'm like, hey, you know what? This would fit in perfectly. Yeah. Um, there's well, certain ones we're looking for in our timeline, though, like oh, the they? archival timeline. So I've got people that, that are up in, you know, Orange County at the swap meets looking for certain things for me. So occasionally I'll get a call on Saturday morning and go, and a little text with a picture will pop up. And 
Um, you know, so. Are you looking specifically for GNS boards? Yes. Gotcha. Yes. I was going to ask, just as a fan of board building and the culture, is there anything, if you could order a surfboard from anyone in the world, not necessarily a GNS, but from anybody else, what would you order? Wow, that's a question I've never been asked. Um, I think I would get a Ryan Birch. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a bloody toe. Ryan Birch bloody toe. His longboards are great, too. Totally. He rides those incredibly. You know, I've never seen anybody have so much fun. That's why I would want one. It's a big draw. I agree with you. I don't know. I just think he's right where he should be. And, yeah. and uh, I don't know, maybe he'll be the Skip Fry when Skip Fry isn't Skip Fry anymore. You know, maybe he'll be the next the next uh, guy like that. Because I think it has to be somebody that just loves surfing um, like he does and has so much fun. And that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, absolutely. We forget it, but yes, it is. Um, how often do you see Skip? Um, quite often I used to see him more, but, um, we, we go over, uh, that way to pick up boards. So is he still building a lot of boards or, um, I think he doesn't want people to know if he is, Got it. so I'm not <laughs> sure, but he's there. He's doing something. Yeah. I mean, I still see his boards popping yeah. out. So yeah, well, we've be. got some coming through the factory. So yeah. awesome. Well, Debbie, thank you for your time. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> Hold on, babe. Don't you go so slow when a wheel don't turn. You don't go no more. I dreamt last night. Oh, Lord, I was dead. I saw the apron. After spending time in the GNS factory, now I need to add a GNS to my quiver. Debbie alluded to it, but the range of classic and now iconic designs that GNS is responsible for is overwhelming. And their work is second to none. So um, incredible designs, impeccably built. To learn more about their boards and their deep history, go to gordonandsmith.com. The book that Debbie and I were referencing is called One Long Ride. And it's an excellent piece of surf history packed with tons of imagery and stories, way more than we can cover here on the podcast. So I encourage you to go grab that. They also have a GNS skate book. You can get it all on gordonandsmith.com, but we will, of course, link to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then we're giving away the Pizel Shadow on Monday. This is a John John Florence trade-in. It's 6-0. You can find the dimensions on our website, but this is just such an epic board, such an epic thing to be able to give away. So thanks to Pizel and John John for that. And thank you to you listeners who support our work. That is the foundation of our business. And as a thank you, we love to do these giveaways. And we've got a panda queued up for next month, a panda shiitake, I believe. So we'll be hearing from Blake Peters about that shortly, but don't miss out on this Pizel shadow. If you support our work, you're automatically entered to win it. But if you don't and you want to get in on this, just set up your support on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Click the subscribe button and um, it's five bucks a month. It invests in the future of this show. It helps us archive everything from the past 
and then you will be entered to win the Pizel Shadow if you do that before the final minute of July on Pacific Standard Time. Uh, Sunday is the first, but I'm not working on Sunday, so I will pick the winner on Monday, randomly by the way, and announce that on social media and via email, so look forward to that and good luck. And then Scott Bass and I recorded an episode of Spit this morning, so that should be going live today. And then Chaz Smith is on his epic cross-country quest to find the elusive WSL audience that they are searching for. So he and I are going to catch up about that journey on, uh, I believe, Thursday is when he returns. So look forward to that. It's been a harrowing adventure for him. Uh, So that's over on The Grit Podcast. You can search and subscribe to that as well. All right, and then I'll be back here next week on Surf Splendor with an all-new episode with Foo Fighters guitarist Chris Shiflett, believe it or not. Uh, He's a surfer, grew up in Santa Barbara County, so we'll be doing a deep dive into everything from his past as it relates to surfing and as it relates to playing guitar for one of the biggest bands in the world. So I look forward to that here on Surf Splendor. Thanks for the support. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I am signing off until next week to remind you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and of course, shred on. You know.